Welcome, welcome. December 5th, got a good episode for you here. Thursday before the night football game. The dog is absent. I'm on my own, riding solo. I'm going to break down college football, who I think is going to make it, who I think has an outside chance that you should maybe look into. I'll break down college hoops, NFL. I'll go on a rant about how coaches are being mistreated in press conferences, and that will lead me into my own rant that has nothing to do about sports, and I'll end as always, with my favorite thing, stats that I loved from the past week. Here we go! This is Nate. I'm here without the dog this week. Defend the Bark carries on, but we are missing the dog. He is on hiatus. Leash down, put in the kennel for the week, just on rest. But sports goes on, and so will I. Big week in college football. It is the last week. Conference championship week starts off on Friday. Utah, Oregon, Pac-12 championship game up in San Francisco or Santa Clara or wherever it is, Levi Stadium, basically where the 49ers play. I don't know what city it is. I think the top three are locks. Ohio State at one. They can lose to Wisconsin. They still should make it. LSU playing number four Georgia. If that's their only loss of the year, SEC championship against number four ranked Georgia, they should still make it. Clemson, if they lose to Virginia, I don't think they should, but I don't think anyone thinks they will. It kind of makes me want to cheer for that more than anything else this weekend is the idea of Clemson dropping a game to Virginia and just throwing everyone off because everyone's sitting here saying one, two, and three are locks. One and two are locks if they lose. Three is not a lock if they lose, so I'm going to cheer for that. And at four... Georgia sits there now. They have the big game at LSU. If they lose, I don't think they should be in. Utah, like I said on Friday, against Oregon. If they win and Georgia loses, I think it's theirs. I think the Pac-12 sneaks in. Oklahoma at Baylor is probably the most intriguing game and situation to me. If Georgia happens to lose and Oregon beats Utah. That fourth spot is open. The winner of Oklahoma, Baylor, by theory, should make that game. I think on paper, everyone would say that. Four loses, five loses. The winner of six against seven should take that game. For some reason, if Baylor wins that game, I don't see them sneaking it. They just don't seem to have the firepower in my opinion, to deserve that. Even though their loss, their only loss this year, is against Oklahoma where they were up multiple possessions in the first half. Oklahoma's loss to Kansas State, a much worse loss. But in my mind, somehow Oklahoma with their firepower, Jalen Hurts, the way that they have their offense going, seems like a much more intriguing team to be in the college football playoff. 
I think another big interesting conversation and kind of the what if game, which is really fun to play, is what if Wisconsin does beat Ohio State and Georgia and Utah also fall? Is that win by Wisconsin over the number one ranked team in the nation good enough to push them into the top four? Still a two-loss team. That would be one of the big 12 teams. Either Oklahoma or Baylor has to finish the year 12-1. and one. But would Wisconsin finishing the way that they would, beating Ohio State, be better than a big 12 championship team in either Oklahoma or Baylor? It is the most intriguing what-if situation and scenario to me this week. Look at Wisconsin and where we kind of had them in our mind early in the year. South Florida, Central Michigan, Kent State, Michigan State. Now those first three, yeah, they are not top tier football programs. They are lower end. If this were basketball, they would be called low majors. I don't know what you call them in football. But South Florida, 49-0. Central Michigan, 61-0. Kent State, 48-0. Michigan State, 38-0. Throw in a game against Michigan, which was a hyped game in mid-September, and they dominated defensively. Six weeks into the year, Wisconsin was a national powerhouse conversation with their defense. And they follow that up with a one-point loss to Illinois and then get blown out by Ohio State. And they've slowly... Just played good football the rest of the year, worked their way back into a crazy what if scenario of taking down the best team in the land. What if would they find a way to sneak in? And personally, I would love to see it. And I know that's two teams from the same conference, and I'm not a huge fan of that. But is a Wisconsin win over Ohio State better? than any win Oklahoma or Baylor has had all year? And I think the answer is yes. And I think that's what I want to see out of the fourth seed in the college football playoff rankings, is who is most likely to contend and compete and potentially beat the number one team in the nation. I think that's a criteria that's being overlooked in who are we deciding is that fourth team. I don't know what the criteria is. No one knows what it is. It's something that you find out at Hogwarts. Dumbledore writes it on a piece of paper with magical ink on it and hands it to Professor Snape and no one else knows. But I think it's all about, let's look at teams ranked four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and so on, and pick the team that's had the best year, the best schedule, and competed the best of these teams. And we are ignoring the fact that really what we want to see is a good football game. We're football fans. We're football guys. That's what we want. We do not want to see a 49-7 to game. And I don't know if anyone is going to come in and, and be a 49-7 to game. Obviously, those top teams are better than the mix below of 4-8 through eight that we're talking about. But I want to see the team that is most likely... To compete with the number one team in the nation. And to me right now, that might actually be Wisconsin because of their defensive potential. 
Oklahoma has shown that they can give up points. Baylor has shown that they can give up points. That is what the Big 12 is. The defenses in the Big 12 have bigger gaps and bigger holes than the genes of the students who attend those schools. It's 2019. I know you've seen them. They're hula hoop size holes in these genes and the defenses are worse. That's what makes the Big 12 exciting to me is anyone can beat anyone, but this is also the college football playoff. You're talking about the number one team in the land, the number two team in the land that you're trying to compete against. These teams are solid. They're sound. They will tear you apart if we're trying to avoid a 49 to 7 game. You might have to skip out on the Big 12. So I like Wisconsin. I think Georgia I was obviously on the Georgia bandwagon early in the year. I think they're a good football team. I'm intrigued and excited to see how they compete against LSU. I still think LSU is going to win that game, but I would love to see Georgia compete in a way and potentially win to earn themselves a spot. Behind the Wisconsin debate, just because that's so exciting for the eighth team in week 15 conference championship play to go from eight to four, Besides that, the second most intriguing debate of this week to me is what if Georgia loses a tight football game? We're talking a double overtime thriller, SEC style, and they're right there. I think that's a great argument to keep them in the mix. I think a lot of people are going to say that. They're going to say LSU is potentially the best team. They're ranked number one in the AP poll. They're ranked number one in the coaches poll. So obviously there's a lot of people who are around the sport who see it all the time who believe LSU is the best team. And if you compete neck and neck with them and you're there in a position to win the game, like I just said, you have that fourth spot power potential to beat number one, you should make it. However, I don't think a two-loss Georgia team should make it in the top three with an undefeated 13-0, 13-0, 13-0, Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, if there are 12-1 teams of Utah or whoever wins the Big 12 championship. Now, if some of those teams fall... If Utah falls, obviously one of the teams from the Big 12 is going to be 12-1. and But I think chaos would have to be Georgia's friend in the situation where they lose to still make it. A lot of other stuff would have to fall for them to really legitimately be in the conversation. Like I said, I really think it goes with if Georgia wins, they're in. And we see the top four as it is now, probably in a different order. If Georgia wins, we should expect it to go Ohio State 1, Georgia 2, LSU 3, Clemson 4. Now, if Georgia loses and Utah wins, they are making it. Now, if Georgia falls, Utah falls, I think it probably does go to the Big 12 champion. Unless, like I said earlier, Wisconsin does upset Ohio State then they are still in the mix 11 and 2 team with that signature win with that defense but I I ultimately do think that the college football playoff will go with whoever the big 12 champion is if the Pac-12 
can't come up with someone, meaning Utah fades, and Georgia loses, I really think they will get the nod. So I think it's really just a seven-team mix. As much as I think and I want to debate Wisconsin should be in the mix, it is really a seven-team argument for who is going to make it. First week of December, to me, is a more intriguing time for college basketball than it is the NFL. The NFL, you start to have in your head who is going to win divisions. We could go through standings right now and go, yeah, probably them, 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 so on. Maybe two or three divisions where it's in the mix. The wild card is starting to form, and then you just have this long list of, quote, in-the-hunt teams who still have a chance to make the playoffs, but it is an outside chance. There might be miracles that happen this week. There might be a lot of shifting, but you start to really move into a place where you look at two teams and go, that football team is a lot better than this football team, and that's who I expect to win this game. For me, it's the unexpected teams in college basketball that make the first week of December more exciting than the NFL. And that highlights and starts and ends And basically, you've probably already heard it, it's Michigan basketball. Juwan Howard has them playing great basketball. It is highlighted by their win of the battle for Atlantis, taking down top-tier teams to get it done. They had a tight game, but a win against North Carolina, and then handled Gonzaga. 7-0, great position, one of the few teams in the past three decades to go from unranked to the top five in the AP poll. Came back, came back from the Bahamas, a little bit of the juju gone, whatever they're having there, and struggled against Louisville. So they will drop in the next ranking. But they were unranked a week ago. They were unranked two weeks ago. They were not on really anyone's radar, but they are a top 10 12 team in the nation right now it's only december but they definitely have proven themselves at that mix at this juncture in the year it isn't a stretch to say they are a sweet 16 team and with a new coach who's out there working hard getting on the ground mopping up the sweat i know you saw that video doing whatever is necessary to prove himself This team will be in a good place. I believe in Juwan Howard. He's played in the NBA for 317 years. He's been on championship teams with Hall of Fame players that know that it's all about peaking at the right time, playing good basketball, load management. It's the buzzword of the NBA in 2019. And Juwan Howard is the most NBA guy of college basketball in 2019. So I believe in him. He's going to apply that. Whether it applies or not, I believe in him. So that's what I'm going to say. They are the team of the conversation in the first week of December. My underrated team right now is the Oregon Ducks. Out in the West, Eugene. This team is solid. They play good basketball. They have a solid point guard who is one of the more talked about point guards in the nation. It is one of the things that I latch onto in December and January when I say I want to pick a team and I want to see them go far in March is someone who has experience at the one. And Peyton Pritchard has been around. He's played a lot of games, a lot of minutes with a team that has done 
well. They have a coaching staff that has been there together. They haven't broken apart. No assistants have tailed off to take a head coaching job. And so they are all there from the 2017 Phoenix Final Four team that was one possession away from beating North Carolina, who went on to beat Gonzaga in the national championship. Oregon has to feel that they were right there. They were right there from winning the title. They have the same staff. They have a lot of people who remember that, who know what it takes, and they are a team hungry to prove themselves with a conference that is not getting that much respect nationwide. I think across the nation, when you hear Pac-12 and you hear college basketball, your first thought is Arizona. With how dominant they were in the 90s, the late 90s, the early 2000s, and then recently the Sean Miller era with how they have gone far, the players that they have brought in, they consistently in the past 10 years have been the top team in the Pac-12 and have gotten extra attention with all the quote cheating, the FBI, Sean Miller, he wears those white shirts that he's sweating through them. Is that because he's working hard or because he knows the FBI is circling his house at night? I don't really know, but I'm here to say that Oregon is the best basketball team in the Pac-12. There are two losses right now in the Bahamas as well, where Gonzaga, one-point loss. North Carolina, four-point loss. They are in those basketball games. They are possessions away from winning, and they have a senior point guard who will lead them. They have a coaching staff who has been there and knows, and they will progress. They will get better. They will improve. Don't be surprised when Oregon is still playing in late March. As far as overrated goes, my vote goes to number 23, Villanova. I know they are a two-loss team. They're one of the few two-loss teams in the top 25. That does catch my attention. But what catches my attention more than that is that the Big East which hasn't been that great, it is no longer 1985. They are not one of the top teams in the Big East for me. Seton Hall and Butler are better basketball teams. DePaul is 9-0. Who have they played? They probably played your middle school team. They probably blew them out. But they also played Iowa. They also played Minnesota. They have gone to Big Ten schools and handled them. They are a team that you should just keep your eye on. You can't knock winning nine games and going 9-0. Xavier, 8-1. There are good teams in the Big East. Look at their records in the Big East. No one has a record below 500. And I know, yes, it's the first week of December. These teams play teams, like I said, that probably were your middle school, your high school team, whatever. You've never heard of some of these schools, but the Big East is a lot better and Villanova is not as strong as they used to be. They are a big name. They have a coach who wears maybe the best suits in the nation, but does that mean they are a top 25 team? They are barely squeaking by. I think it is something to keep your eye on because the name means more than how good they are playing basketball at this point in the year. 
Other teams that you should keep your eye on. If you're a basketball fan, you want to sound smart around the water cooler. Here are some teams also receiving votes. This will make you sound smart. Go on to ESPN, check the rankings wherever it is. Always look at the teams also receiving votes because when they play, it won't say the little number next to them, ranked 23, ranked 16, ranked whatever. But they're basically ranked 26, 27, 28, and so on. They're in the top 40. So you should know the top 40 teams. It's a way to make yourself sound smarter and know what you're talking about. Surprise some people. And here are some names you might not have heard of. Liberty is in the top 40, getting some votes. Stephen F. Austin, you probably heard of with that big takedown of Duke late on that exciting play. They're getting some votes. Richmond, getting some votes. Delaware, getting some votes. These are teams you're probably not hearing but they are top 40 teams in the nation right now. I already said it that I like college hoops over the NFL this week. It is a boring week to me. A lot of it's already taking place, like I said. I look at the standings. I look at teams who are in great positions already. The AFC, you almost have to assume Ravens, Patriots, Chiefs. They're probably all making the playoffs. The Texans have a one-game lead over the Titans, so that's kind of in the mix it's kind of exciting but other than that it takes only seven teams in the AFC who are above 500 with Pittsburgh and Tennessee being seven and five as bad football teams Pittsburgh is terrible they're on their fourth string quarterback from when training camp started if you look at the rankings of like who are the top 20 quarterbacks in the league Steelers don't have one who are the top 20 running backs in the league, Steelers don't have one. Top 20 wideouts, Steelers don't have one. They are a bad football team. I don't know how they're still in the mix. They're somehow finding a way. But the AFC, after those top teams, not exciting. And if you're supposed to get excited about bad football teams potentially making the playoffs, you're not a football guy. In the NFC, teams already looking good. The Saints, the Seahawks, the 49ers are not leading their division, but they are going to make the playoffs at worst at a wild card. The Packers will make the playoffs. The weird part of the NFC is the Dallas Cowboys, 6-6, six and six, 500 team leading their division, looking like they have a legit shot to make the playoffs. Very good shot if they win tonight against Chicago. I actually like Chicago to win the game, which is shocking to me that Dallas will go from being a 500 team to below 500, and they will sit here still leading the division. It is week 14 of football in the NFL, and we are talking about a team being under 500 leading the division. It's disgusting. It's a disgrace, but hey. That's where we're at in the NFL. I like Chicago to win on Thursday. Probably a terrible, disgusting, ugly game. But hey, Chicago is the team in the NFC that is just going to fall under the category of in the hunt for the rest of the year. They'll probably never make it. They'll never be in the mix. But they'll just be that what-if team the whole time. Sunday games. Carolina at Atlanta. I like Carolina here. Coach just got fired. 
They always fire coaches midseason and bring some new guy in. And when they do that, whoever the interim coach is, I don't care what team it is. I I really don't even care what sport it is. You only fire a head coach if when you bring in the interim coach, you have confidence in winning. Because if you win, it's like, hey, we made the right move. We got rid of that guy. He was the issue. See, when we kick him out, we win games. But it is a bad look as an owner, as a franchise, to fire your coach and lose the next week as well. I know there's not a lot of pressure because if you're firing your coach, you're probably losing a lot of games to win with. But it's a great time to do it when you believe in yourself to turn it around. And I believe in them to make a statement, win a game, and it's the Falcons. It's not like the Falcons are just some dominant football team like it was two years ago. Baltimore at Buffalo. I like the Ravens. How could you not? They have this league's MVP on their team right now. Even though I'm a Bills Mafia fan, I'm going to go against them. I think it's one of the best football games of the week. Cincinnati at Cleveland. Terrible football game with ugly orange and ugly football Who really cares except how could you pick the Bengals to win at this point? I know they're coming off a win. Forget it. Andy Dalton is not getting it done for this team. Stephen A. Smith said Baker Mayfield has more commercials than he has wins, and that's going to change this week. Washington at Green Bay. Easy. Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers. Done. State Farm. All-State. I don't know which one he has. He's winning this game. Discount double check. Detroit at Minnesota. I like the Vikings. It means something to them. It means nothing to the Lions. I said Baltimore and Buffalo was one of the best games. This next one is the best game. San Francisco at New Orleans. I actually like New Orleans. I think that San Francisco is a better football team. I like San Francisco to win more games in the long run. However, this game is in New Orleans. Mercedes Dome is one of the most electric places in the NFL. It's not getting as much credit just because it's been so electric for so long. But I like the Saints just because I don't think enough people are respecting them. Miami at the Jets. Terrible, terrible football. I would rather watch a six-year-old youth soccer game. I guess I'll pick the Dolphins because they throw touchdowns to their punter. That's it. Only reason. Next game. Colts at Buccaneers. It means more to the Colts. I'm taking them. If that's not obvious as something that I lean too much on, it should be at this point. Denver at Houston. Houston is a good football team in my mind. They're not great, but they are good. They are a top 12 football team league-wide. I expect them to win this game. Upset pick of the week for me, Chargers at Jacksonville. I like the Jags to get it done. That is my upset pick. It's not much of an upset, but hey, they're not favored, and I'm liking them to win. That is what we call an upset. Tennessee at Oakland. I like the Raiders to win this game. They haven't looked good. They are an okay football team. I didn't say good. 
They're an okay football team. It's Oakland. Take out the A. Okay. They are going to be better than Tennessee. Maybe that's my biased Steeler fan coming in, hoping Tennessee loses, but I like Oakland. Kansas City at New England. This has got to be an upset pick as well. I like Kansas City. Tom Brady is a great quarterback. He is the best of all time, but he is 77 years old, and the Patriots' defense is why they are winning games. For me, it goes 85 Bears, 2001 Ravens, and the 2019 Patriots' defense. If they find a way to get it done which I have full belief in the Patriots to be in the mix in January, it will be because of their defense. Look at the stats. ESPN is just running their mouth about how Trubisky and Delvin Hodges and -and so-and-so, your aunt, they all have better completion percentages than Tom Brady. And I like Kansas City to win this game because I think Mahomes has gone under the radar this year because of his injury, because he missed games, He's not getting the attention. For some reason, he's going to put on a show. That's my call. Steelers at Cardinals. Do I really have to tell you who I'm going to pick? It is the Steelers. They are a terrible football team. They're going to find a way to get it done against the rookie coach, the rookie quarterback. Seahawks at Rams. Probably the most intriguing game. Maybe not the best football game. I said it was 49ers at Saints. But this has a lot of implications because the Rams are not out of the playoffs. The Rams are a team that could sneak in and make it three teams from the NFC West as well as spoil Seattle's current push against the 49ers for the NFC West title. It is the best It is the best competition between two teams for a division title this year, and the Rams might be the best, third best team in any division this year. So I like that game for its intrigue. And Monday night's game, Giants at Eagles, two teams below 500. It's an NFC battle, an NFC East battle that is no shock to us. Two teams that are just, eh, whatever. NFC East basically breeds seven and nine football teams. I don't know if that's true or not, but it would not surprise me if NFC teams go seven and nine more than any other record. Our Mike Leach topic of the week. Normally we take this, hey, if Mike Leach was asked this, but let's just actually talk about Mike Leach. One of the more interesting things from college football last week for me is the focus on post-game interviews, Mike Leach being the most interesting one, calling some guy a sanctimonious troll. I don't even know what that means. I do now. I looked it up. I googled it. I found out. You should do the same if you don't. But called out, Mike Leach was asked if his team doesn't have a top 10 recruiting class and they play Washington, who does have a top 10 recruiting class, the expectation is they don't win. Well, we certainly have before. We well, certainly have before. We didn't win this one, and I don't care to have a big discussion with you on it because I really don't care what you think. Like you know, and you run your mouth in your little old column and stuff like uh, uh, some, some sanctimonious troll, 
and uh, where you know you've never been fair even-handed with us so I really don't care what you think so Mike Leach answers that and says they have beaten teams with top 10 recruiting classes they are a good football team they've been in the mix they've been in the conversation the Cougs are a quality football program that everyone should respect I don't know if Alabama Ohio State Clemson LSU fear them But outside of the premier, elite, top, top, top level college football teams, Washington State competes with everyone. And yes, they've lost seven straight to Washington, but who really cares? Their program is on the rise. They're a team that competes regularly for the Pac-12 championship, at least their share of their division. And he's doing a good job there. I'm a biased fan of him just because he's so quirky and weird. And I love it. But I really think that a reporter attacking a coach, especially post-game, is going too far. And look at it. It was the story of the week in college football. Looking back, Jim Harbaugh was sick of how he was questioned by someone. Said he didn't want to be attacked. He said he'll answer questions but not insults. Is this a talent gap? Is it a preparation gap? Is it a coaching gap? What is the biggest difference between you and Ohio State at this point? I mean, I'll answer your questions, not your insults. So. That wasn't an insult. I mean, you've been 118 points in two years. They played really good. They played good. That's why I'm asking. What's the biggest difference in the gap between you guys? They played better today. I 100% defend coaches that go, it is insulting that you're asking me these questions after a game do you not think these people want to win football games these guys are competitive jim harbaugh by nature might be one of the most competitive human beings on the planet and we are questioning him on why aren't you winning he's trying you have to believe he is doing his job to the best of his ability he might make mistakes and he, I'm sure he'll be the first person in line to admit when he has made a mistake, whether it is in recruiting or game strategy or making some sort of decision or play call, whatever it is. He is second-guessing himself and questioning himself and being reflective more than anyone else. He's harder on himself than anyone else. That's what real competitors do, and they don't need to hear from reporters who don't have that experience right after the game. And to me, it's obviously a difference if you just take reporters out of the room and you have former coaches, former players ask the questions. Would they ask dramatically different questions? And they would. You have to know that as a sports guy that the questions Harbaugh and Leach are dealing with are questions coming from people who are not former coaches. They are not former players. And that's why I side with the coaches. These questions are insulting by nature of attitude, not by the nature of the solo words strung together to make the sentence and question that is asking them whatever it is. But the attitude from reporters needs to go, and we need to give more respect to these coaches who put their lives into their programs. They put so much time and effort into it. Their families are tied down to it. They are bleeding blue. 
Harbaugh bleeds blue for that program. You know it. You believe it. And really, the big conversation is, should he get fired because he doesn't beat Ohio State? And that's unfortunate. He's a good football coach who does a good job. It's just an expectation level. It's a matter of perspective. Mike Leach, done a phenomenal job at Washington State. They were not a contender. He makes them a contender with conversation. They've probably been ranked in the in the top 10. I don't know for sure, but I think they have been ranked in the top 10 in the past couple of years. That's not something you really associate Washington State Cougar football with, but it has gotten to that point. And yet he doesn't beat Washington for multiple years in a row. And it's kind of like, wow, this program is in shambles. Let's get this guy out of here. And that is the wrong approach. Speaking of college football coaches interviews, their rants, my random rant of the week. It was Thanksgiving break back at my parents' house, which means I was on this one street making this left turn. It is two lanes turning in to four lanes, making a left turn. I've done this a thousand times in my life. And every time before I do it, I look over at the person next to me and I judge them. If you're in the left lane, your job is to turn into the left two lanes. If you're in the right lane, your job is to turn into the right two lanes. It's simple math. Cut it in half, share the road like you're a kindergartner. If you're in the left lane, you cannot turn into lane number three. That's not how it works. That's not yours. So I rev up my engine, not by revving up my engine to actually race, but just to look over at the person next to me and judge them. Is this person gonna cross over into some uncharted territory that is not theirs and take one of my lanes? It is my biggest pet peeve of that intersection. I can't even sit at the light without looking around and going, which one of these knuckleheads is not gonna be able to turn into the lane that they should? A couple stats that I love to finish our episode for today. The Mets have won a game more recently than the New York Giants. It's December. It's December. Baseball has been over for a long time. It's been over long enough for us to talk about how the Astros cheated in 2017. It's been over long enough for me to forget the name of the girls who flashed during game five. I don't even remember who they were. But the Mets have won a game more recently than the Giants. That is sad. Going back to Eli Manning, he's probably going to get it done and turn it around for them against the Eagles in the terrible NFC East, like I said earlier. Another one, the Lions became the third team all time in the NFL. That 11 games into the year, they had a lead in all 11 but only managed to win three or fewer games. That's sad. That's all I can say about that. That's sad. Sad on their part that they couldn't get it done and sad for them that they had the lead and they blew it. It has to be a terrible thing to be a fan of sports in Detroit. The Lakers have only lost one road game all season. It's the first game of the year against the Clippers at Staples Center. To me, it's a completely meaningless stat. I don't think 
there's anything from that that I take away and I'm like, oh, well, this tells me about the Clippers. It's just fun to say that the Clippers have only lost on the road one time all year and it was at the building where they play their home games. And we're 20 games into the year, so it's pretty meaningless. It's not like that's going to happen for all 82, but hey, it's fun to say at this point. Georgia Southern has now gone two seasons in a row without throwing a single interception. 24 straight games. Great stat. I want to know how many pass attempts they have a game. If it's three, not impressed. Are they even completing these passes? Are the pass attempts only because they're avoiding sacks? I need more info. And last one, this happened a couple days ago. Westbrook and Harden on the Rockets missed a combined 50 shots. The duo went 18 for 68 from the floor. Absolutely atrocious. 50 shots they missed together and combined for 69 points because they didn't miss a free throw all game. Highlighted for me with a fan yelling out at Harden in the first quarter that they did not show up for a free throw battle and Harden clapping back at the fan about, well, if it's a foul, it's a foul. He didn't show up for it either, but it's a foul. That's this week's episode. If you've made it this far listening to one voice, impressive for you. Hopefully I'll be able to bring some other people on to bring some variety, some spark, some spunk to the whole thing. Appreciate you making it this far. Tune in next week for hopefully another good one. Have a good one, guys.